The Wellness Hub by Karen Kelly. On this podcast, we're going to be talking about mental health. This is a vast subject of which anxiety, depression, personality and eating disorders name just a few. And although most people share common symptoms and side effects of mental health issues, the experience is very different from person to person. I'm joined by life coach and founder of the Rest Easy Method, Emily Gearing. Welcome, Emily. First of all, what is mental health? Okay, well, hi, Karen. Thanks for having me on the show. Um, mental health is basically um, a way of looking after our well-being and our psychological needs. So um, how I interpret mental health is um, a way of kind of having a balanced approach to, to life and being able yeah. to make um, healthy decisions. And often if our mental health is out of balance, that's when we can start to feel a bit down. And it's interesting because mental health can often get confused with mental illness. So when people are talking about mental health, uh, we're actually talking about positive mental health and well-being and, you know, having those uh, balanced approaches, whereas mental illness is when we have um, long-term conditions. So generally over about three months might be ongoing anxiety or depression. And yeah. it's when we can't get that balanced perspective. And that's when it becomes more of an illness than, um, you know, having anxiety and worries and things is normal. It is a day-to-day -day, um, It's an everyday thing, thing for people, isn't it? Yeah. That's it, yeah. But it's when it becomes continuous and long-term, that's when it turns into mental illness. Yes, totally. I totally agree with you there. See, I mentioned at the beginning of my podcast about mental health, and it's such a vast subject where, like you've mentioned already, anxiety, depression, even personality and eating disorders, which name just a few, come under mm -hmm. the title of, well, I know you said it was mental health, it probably, I've, I've said mental health, but it's probably mental illness. But even yeah. people with those illnesses are going to benefit from positive mental health, aren't they? Definitely. And that's the thing, just as we'd go to the gym to work on our physical health, we need to do things to work on our mental health. So things like meditation, mindfulness, uh, positive psychology, any um, self-help tips, any self-help books, things like that. It's just basically looking at the brain like um, you would a muscle and how can you give the brain a chance to with like physical activity you'd be trying to build up that muscle and with mental um, activity what you're trying to do is actually relax the muscle so relax the mind give opportunities to switch off rather than fill it with more information and um, actually we've got a perfect opportunity to do that right now because we've got time to pause and we've got time Definitely. to just be in the moment so um so we're, yeah, so we're, sorry, we're very good, aren't we, at filling our day with, you know, filling absolutely every minute of every hour in the day. We want it all, don't we? Or we used to want it all. I think it's brilliant that we're now come to a complete stop. We have mm -hmm. to kind of think about what we're doing. Um, so what led you into this profession then? Why, why mental health? So I lived with social anxiety from the age of 10. 
and um, I didn't really realise it was an issue at the time. I just thought I was painfully shy. Obviously, I'm quietly spoken, so I used to get picked on for my voice quite a lot. And I felt like there wasn't really much point saying anything because people couldn't hear me. And so I didn't really have a very strong opinion. I was a really big people pleaser. So I just you would go along with the crowd. I wouldn't really be vocal in what I was thinking. Basically, when I um, got married uh, at the age of 25, I really thought I wouldn't be able to cope with my wedding day. I couldn't cope with being centre of attention. Aww. I was really, really anxious about it. And I thought, if I can get through that, I can get through anything. Do anything, yeah. Yeah, and basically, we went on honeymoon and had a bit of a nervous breakdown because... I didn't feel any different and I thought wow you know I got through being centre of attention you know having all that um kind of I don't know just that emotional stress of being that person that people were going to be looking at I really thought I would just feel so different and I didn't so I came home and um went to the doctors, they put me on antidepressants and I had two lots of CBT, so cognitive behavioural therapy. Yeah, I've heard of that, yeah. Yeah, during that, those sessions, the counsellor basically said to me, look, you know, you've got a good job, you've just got married, basically what have you got to worry about? Almost like... Which is not what you, you know, want to hear, is it? No, and I mean, that was like nearly 20 years ago, so it wasn't really talked about at the time. And also, I had a lot of body image issues, and I didn't really know what they were again. I thought it was just part of my social anxiety and yeah. lack of confidence. Emily, can and I just then, ask you, though, can you share with us yeah. what symptoms you had then of social anxiety? How did it affect you? What, you know, what were the symptoms? So for me, it was fear, fear of being seen, fear of... Um, people looking at me that was one of my big things I didn't want people to see me so I used to put on loads and loads of makeup my overriding thing which I ended up realizing was body dysmorphic disorder was um, having rosy cheeks so I used to put on green makeup to counteract that really really thick makeup I'd wear my hair down all the time covering my face and really I think the big part that um, it kind of escalated was from when, you know, when you're at school and like people take the mickey, say, oh, you're getting embarrassed and you're yeah, going it's red. It's difficult and school anyway at that age, isn't it? Definitely. Yeah, yeah. that's it. That so really again, if I ever went red in a situation, I would just want to run away. I'd have like a panic attack. I'd just... I couldn't breathe properly. I'd, what my like safety mechanism was, was going to look in the mirror or anything that was shiny. So I'd want to check how my appearance was from every angle. Because for me, going red was a sign I wasn't coping. So I would gauge every scenario on whether I was getting red or not. So again, like, you know, going through my wedding day, I was, at times I had rosy cheeks, so I was absolutely paranoid about the photos, what were they going to be like. Honestly, it just consumed my thinking. And also, I was quite habitual and a bit ritualistic about um, getting dressed, so I'd be like, if I did my hair a certain way, if I did my makeup, you know, in a right, the right order, things like that, I would have a good day. And right, if yeah. I'd done things in a different order, I'd be thinking, well, it's no wonder because I did my makeup wrong or whatever. And, you know, talking about it now, you can see that it was very, very extreme thinking. Everything was out of perspective. 
I just couldn't get a balanced approach to my thinking. That must have been really frightening for you. I mean, what age then? You said age 10 that started for you. From 10, yeah. Um, must have been really scary. Yeah, it actually came on. We moved around a lot. I'd been to a lot of different schools um, from the age of 4 to 11. So I went to five different schools. And when I was 10, I mean, it sounds the most ridiculous thing, but I was chosen to be carnival princess for our local village. We had to, the way you got selected was we went to a disco and there was a panel of men. And I was like 10 at the time. I stood there with a number. You had to walk around with a number and you got selected basically on how you looked. You didn't have to say anything or do anything just on what you looked like. Mm-hmm. And I'd only recently moved to that village and some of the people that I just got friends with didn't get selected. And I was like, I felt awful. I didn't yeah. want to be, you know, I just didn't really realise what it then meant. And then we got taken off into a separate room. We had photos taken. It was in the newspaper. Then there was dress fittings and all these things. Then we were like paraded around on the back of sports cars. That's a worse thing for you, isn't it? At that age, if you're suffering with social anxiety, yeah. great And it was that centre of attention, just feeling really, really vulnerable (laughs) on the back of a sports car, everyone looking at you. And I mean, honestly, you know, in another time, in another place, that would have been a lovely experience, but just where my head was at at the time. And so that really started this sort of um, fear of people looking at me and also being different. I felt like I was different and I didn't want to be different. All I wanted to do was fit in. So, um, and like I say, you know, I'd always been labelled as shy and being picked on, but really the symptoms for me were that um, overthinking everything, the paranoia, huge paranoia, yeah, um, just massive self-doubt. Uh, and the routines, the habitual routines, which is actually part of obsessive compulsive. I was going to say it's like OCD, isn't it? As well, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, um, and then in amongst things, I would get really down because it was just exhausting being so anxious all the time. And as part of my role, I was in marketing at the time. I had to do some um, presenting, which really, really scared me again, you know, being centre of attention. So, yeah, basically it reached a point where I just knew I needed to do something about it. So I started working on myself and just reading self-help books and learning all I could about mental health, mental well-being. I trained in loads of different things. I got into Reiki. I looked at being a hypnotherapist. And again, I looked at doing CBT, but it just didn't resonate with me. Um, EFT, I looked at, which was brilliant, did um, some training in that. What's EFT? Sorry, what's EFT? um, It's called emotional freedom technique. So it's where you do tapping. So you tap on various parts of the body to release um, tension and to try and change some of your thinking. And I would really recommend it. It is really, really good. And But anyway, I tried all these different techniques and, and then discovered mindfulness. And that was just amazing for me. That was a real turning point. And then I trained to be a life coach because I had had some life coaching and I found that for me was very practical and it could be applied in a really good way. So that's a great story I think if you've experienced anything like that I mean a lot of things come under the bracket don't they mental health and mental illness but if you've experienced even a fraction of that you can help others can't you definitely I think most people have experienced a level of anxiety I certainly understand that fear that you were talking about um I suffered many years ago and it is definitely 
mindfulness that helps you get through it in the end, isn't it? And talking to people and, and meeting other people that have suffered as well. Definitely. That's yeah. a great story, Emily. Really great story. I'm glad that you're obviously out the other side. Um, did you find that the antidepressants helped you at the time or was that a wrong diagnosis for you? To be honest, um, I was really, really ill on them. So I was really ill going on them for about two weeks had to have time off work which I didn't really want uh, so I was on my own at home and um, like I said I just got married it wasn't a time when people were talking about their mental well-being at all no. so I was really ashamed to be off work I didn't really I only told my boss but as it was I was so physically ill on them anyway those symptoms were then when I went back to work you know I could say oh, I felt nauseous and I couldn't sleep yeah all these yeah so that and as they kicked in, um, to be honest, I can't really remember it very well. It was very, very vague. I knew I wasn't myself and I knew I wanted to do something different. So I probably only stayed on them for a couple of months. And then I have to say coming off them again, I was really, really ill like I was when I first went on them. Yeah, you do and get withdrawal symptoms, um, don't you, I believe? You can get withdrawal symptoms coming off those tablets. Yeah, I just felt sick all the time. I didn't feel like myself as much as the anxiety was horrendous previously. I felt like a lot of my emotions were quite numb. And I, the way I navigate life is through how I feel. And yeah. I didn't know how I felt. And I just, I just knew it wasn't how I wanted to be. So again, it really motivated me to start looking at there must be another way. There yeah. must be a different sort of path. So I came off them again, feeling really ill. And then I was just absolutely on a mission to find a different way. And I read an article about body dysmorphic disorder, like Grazia or something. And then I, I got this book on body dysmorphic disorder. And then once I realized, because when they told me it was social anxiety, I felt like there was something more to it that had been missed. Yeah. And once I got the book on body dysmorphic disorder, I was like, this is absolutely it. And then when I realized that I wasn't weird and I wasn't strange and that these um, habitual patterns, I just, I couldn't help them at the time. It was just the way my brain had been um, evolved to sort of cope with things. Sorry, Emily, can you tell us um, just before we move on what body dysmorphia is for those people that don't know? So basically it's an element of your body that you get fixated with and it could be your whole body, but Generally, it's part of your body that you feel is in a sort of dysmorphia way. So you look at it in a way that isn't real. So it could be that you think that you've got a growth on your ear or you think that you've got, um, you know, a big nose and that part of that body, of your body, is out of proportion. And do you so, see it that way? Do you see it yeah. that way? Wow. Yeah, so you look in the mirror and you see something different. So with mine, it, it was about my rosy cheeks, but it was about the shape of them. So one of them would be quite square and one of them yeah. would be more patchy. And I would constantly have to keep checking side to side to side. What shape is it? What shape is it? Honestly, it sounds so extreme, but that's how you get and you look in the mirror and you think every time you look in the mirror you see something different or that it's you know changed shape or it's changed um a way of being so people then do what they can to hide it so you get a lot of camouflaging with clothes as well you know it could be yeah. that people think 
they've got a disformed, maybe their boobs, one side's bigger than the other, yeah, or maybe yeah. they're fixated with their stomach or their legs or, you know, their feet. So they'll find ways of disguising it. A lot of the time it could be people with their hair. They might keep changing their hair colour, wearing hats. Again, for me, it was wearing makeup, wearing a lot of makeup. Uh, sometimes people do tattoos to cover things as well, but then that can become a bit of a fixation. Of course, yeah, and the tattoo then, they probably don't like it and fixate yeah. on that, don't they? I tell you yeah. what's really refreshing, really refreshing, is just talking openly to someone like yourself that can freely talk about their experiences. And like you say, go back many moons ago, nobody did that. And I remember I suffered in the 90s with anxiety. I was cabin crew at the time and I had terrible fear of all sorts of things. I remember filling out job applications going forward and it used to ask the question, I think, on there, have you ever suffered a mental illness? Now, I'm not sure if they can ask that question anymore because we're so open about it now and lots of people talk about it. So I'd, I'd be interested to know, actually, if they do mm. ask that question because I don't think they can discriminate, can they? But it's really mm. refreshing and I love how people are more open about their experiences now. So you're the founder of the Rest Easy Method, which sounds fantastic. Can you tell us a bit about that? What's the Rest Easy Method? Yeah, so basically it's a self-help method for six to 25 year olds and then anyone who comes into contact them, with them. So like teachers, parents, support workers, carers, employers. And um, it's an acronym for recognize emotions, stop, think, engage awareness and support yourself. Again, the reason I created it was because I was delivering mindfulness and life coaching in private workshops. So um, I trained in mindfulness, I trained in life coaching. And I found obviously through my experiences that there wasn't much support for children. And um, while I was doing my training, I was working in a school and we were given loads of training on safeguarding and first aid, but nothing around emotional help and things like that. So as I was doing my private workshops, uh, I was delivering mindfulness and then I was adding some life coaching elements onto everything. And then I got asked to deliver it in school in the lead up to SATs. And I thought, I want to make this really catchy, really easy to remember. And I've been teaching the rest part. So recognize emotions, stop, think. And I was like, I just need to make this easy. It just needs to be really easy. And I was like, rest easy. <laughs> and then I looked it up and rest easy actually means that there's nothing to worry about as everything's taken care of. And they nice. use it in America as a phrase, like, oh, just rest easy. And I thought, oh, that's really um, simple to remember. Yeah. So, um, and what I wanted to do, so the easy part is engage awareness, which is your mindfulness and support yourself, which is some life coaching techniques. So within that, um, the children basically have a strategy to recognize their emotions, to pause and do some breathing, to think a bit more positively, to bring in some mindful awareness and then to support themselves. Right, that's really so the good. big, thank you. The big emphasis of it is that people can empower themselves to support themselves. So if as a child, you can support yourself through your emotions, then you're gonna be, you know, a much more resilient adult and be able to manage those difficult times. And um, supporting Rest Easy and alongside it is also safe spaces and safe people to talk to. Yeah. So in school, we have Rest Easy Zones, which are inside uh, 
sometimes they're in a room, sometimes they're in a corner of a classroom or a corridor that have some nice rest easy resources and they're safe spaces for the children to go to talk to the rest easy team. So there's people trained in schools to support the children in talking about their emotions. But predominantly it is a self-help tool so the kids can use it at any time yeah. but they've also got that support around them. Because children generally, certainly young children, probably probably around about the age of six, very mm-hmm. difficult for them to express their emotions, you know, verbally as such, but they do physically, don't they? They can get really cross, really angry or really needy. So it must be it must really help them to kind of express their emotions under the best easy method. Yeah, definitely. And we use these emotion fans and emotion cards so they can select what they're feeling if they can't verbalise it, if they can't put a name to it. They can maybe just select the face or the colour and just kind of, um, you know, talk about that. Because sometimes we might say we're angry, but actually we might be a bit down, we might be a bit jealous, we might be a bit ashamed, we might be guilty about something. So you know, we can give them those overriding um, emotions, but actually within that, what is that anger about? Is it about being left out? Is it about um, not understanding what you need to do? So um, anger and um, fear and things like that can be expressed in different ways, but what's the reason behind it? And that's what we're trying to do, just get them to understand themselves, understand what makes them angry, understand what makes them scared, um, and everyone's different, aren't they? And everyone's unique. So definitely, that's yeah. really good. Really good. So it looks like the rest easy method is going from strength to strength. Um, mm-hmm. It's being supported by the NHS Innovation Agency. Can you tell us a bit about that? Yeah. So basically, we've been working with them for about a year, and they help us look at our planning and strategy, and also look at opportunities where we could work with other people. So. We're going through validation by Chester University at the moment. They've put us in touch with them. Uh, So we're trying to just gain evidence around um, what we've been doing so far. So um, I launched it in June 2018 in a school and we got best practice by working there for a year. And then we started rolling it out with other schools. Thank you. So yeah, we have um, a contact at NHS Innovations Agency and they just kind of suggest ways that we could take it forward and how we might want to develop it so they're really really helpful they did an article for us um on their website which was nice very good and is there a magazine is it called parliament street so parliament street is a government think tank so oh i see yeah they put forward ideas and um solutions to problems which would hopefully get taken on as proposals um, and get put forward to Parliament. Ah. So, um, yeah, how that came about is that I attended the mental health debate at the House of Commons in March 2018, and they were asking for smart and innovative approaches to wellbeing in school. So I put it forward to the chair, who is Danny Bowman, um, and he's head of campaigns for Parliament Street. And he really liked Restezy and um, the proposal. So the proposal was to do 200 schools as a pilot. And That's then hopefully amazing. roll it out. Amazing. <laughs> Thank you. So hopefully roll it out across the country. So we're in the proposal pilot stage at the moment of doing the right. 200 schools. 
Um, and then, yeah, he put it forward in one of his uh, parliament proposal papers, so a policy paper. So that's a public document that's out there for everyone to read that's on our website. And yeah, it was suggested as um, the uh, initiative for helping schools with well-being. So yeah, it was brilliant to get their backing. So that was great. That's really, really good to hear. That's brilliant. And also, Emily, another congratulations, because you were named as one of the pioneers making a difference to young people's mental health last year. So tell us about that. Yeah, again, that was through Danny, actually, Danny Bowman. So um, he's head of campaigns at Parliament Street, but also he's very vocal in body dysmorphic disorder and uh, male eating disorders and things like that. So he um, contacted me and just said, oh, um, we've got a journalist interested in writing a piece and they're looking for pioneers in the field. So there was eight people that were put forward and I was one of them, which is amazing. So yeah, thank you. So I just basically had to really quickly do a piece on uh, what we're trying to achieve. And it's really because we're coming from preventing mental illness in the first instance. So that's the angle that we're looking at, um, you know, educating people on how they can manage their emotions in the early stages. Um, Because obviously the waiting times and stuff for CAMS is so huge. So if we can help in any way we can to prevent it getting to that, you know, heightened stage, that's really where we're coming from in that field of the sort of pioneer uh, early intervention side of things. Wow, that's really, really brilliant. So obviously we're on uh, on lockdown. So Mm -hmm. has COVID-19 affected your business in any way or is it more online anyway? So is it just kind of, are you as busy as ever? Yeah, I'm actually really busy, which has been lovely. Um, What happened was generally we deliver into schools face-to-face with staff and also businesses. So we do business workshops and parent workshops face-to-face. And it was always my intention to take the method online long-term, but we wanted to develop an app to do that. So it's going to be quite an interactive app, Um, but it costs a lot of money to do that. So we were hoping to do the initial proposal and grow the business in the sort of face-to-face stuff first but then um, a bank approached me about um, assisting their staff in their mental well-being I'd already delivered some face-to-face workshops with them and um, so I thought right this is the time to take it online also we wanted to help the schools that we already work with um, in giving them some resources that they could share with their parents so we have resteasytraining.com, which is our training website, which is where people would normally book the face-to-face training. Yeah. But I always had resteasymethod.com um, as a domain that I was going to run the uh, app alongside. So I basically worked non-stop since we went into lockdown getting that website up and running. So now um, people can become members of that and access all the Resteasy uh, resources and training there's tutorial videos on there. Um, so there's just a monthly membership that people can um, pay to get all that information now. Um, so it's actually changed the business loads. We're now um, launching in Australia, Rest Easy Australia. That's fantastic. So, yeah, that's come about to one of my old school friends actually who works there and she works in a women's refuge over there and she wanted some way of helping people. So um, 
she's just learning the method and she's going to be um, sharing it over there. So it's just amazing now because it's all online. It means that we can have a global reach, which exactly. is a dream yeah. come true. Yeah. Exactly. So it's really given me the time and the uh, kind of impetus to get it online. So yeah, it's a membership site, like I say, um, it's only five pounds a month, which at the moment I think is hopefully manageable for people. Um, yeah. They only really need to do it for four months because the um, method is over four elements. So that's, they'd get it each month. But I really struggled with knowing how much to charge for it. And when I originally thought of doing it, it was going to be £10 a month. But at the moment, I didn't want that to be too expensive for people. Yeah, in the current situation, people are probably £5 more affordable at the moment, isn't it? Yeah, I hope so. Yeah. So, um, And then any schools that we're working with, we're just doing it for £2.50 a month. So yeah. that's for the parents. So the children already know the method. Um, and then there is lots of free resources on there as well. Um, so there's, if people can't afford the five pounds, there's loads of things that they can download. Um, there is a podcast as well, which um, I'm going to be launching soon. I've recorded some bits for that. Yeah. Um, but yeah, there's uh, YouTube videos as well, some meditations, free meditations. So people can go on there and just, um, you know, get a feel for the method. And there's loads of stuff on Facebook, our Facebook uh, page. So one of our coaches is doing regular videos on there as well. We've got eight coaches now that deliver rest easy. So I've just put a, a video on there today. So um, people can check that out as well. Brilliant. So if people want to get in contact with you or go onto your website, what's the address of the website and all your social media pages? Yeah, so it's resteasymethod.com and it takes them to um, the website and then they can become a member on there there's a become a member page and then they can sign up for that or there's the free resources uh, drop down uh, box there where they can access everything just for free uh, really the, as well, yeah. thank you yeah the facebook page is the rest easy method so um again that's where they can get in touch with me uh, our Instagram is Rest Easy Training, so um, or they can get in touch with me at Emily Gearing on Instagram, and then I've got Pinterest as well. I love Pinterest, and my email address is Emily at RestEasyTraining.com. Uh, I also have a life coaching website which is Purposeful Moments, so that's okay. more for the life coaching side and for helping people find their purpose so when i went through all my training um i basically started to understand myself but then i wanted to take it in a certain direction and i discovered my purpose and my purpose is to fulfill my potential and help others fulfill theirs through preventing mental illness so it's very very specific and what i find with purpose is it helps us to be really clear on our direction in the future. And that's something I absolutely love working with. Generally, it ends up being working with women. I've worked with men as well, but, um, and sometimes it's women who've lost their way. Maybe they've been quite in quite um, big careers, quite career driven, then they've become parents and they've, they're not really sure, you know, where what changed. their identity yeah. is yeah. things change dramatically and i spoke to many women yeah if you are high flying and then you have children mm. you can you do feel completely differently because you don't want to leave your child 
you, you still want that career, but you've got the pull, whatever you do. You know, we all feel it, don't we? And it does have an effect on you. Do you find that maybe the percentage is higher in women then that suffer with mental health? Because we're harder on ourselves and expect too much from ourselves, don't we? Definitely. I think what it is, is that women are good at reflecting as well. So women might get to a point in their lives and feel like, this isn't working, what can I do about it? Whereas men might just keep going and going and going until yeah. they reach crisis point. Yeah. And also I think for women, we do have those stages in our lives. Maybe it is having a child or getting divorced or a promotion or um, you know, changes in our lives. Um, sometimes it can be losing parents. So quite often uh, people come to me because they're grieving yeah. and they're really lost. And it's an opportunity to actually look at, well, what do you want out of life? You know, are you happy in your life at the moment? And um, so I think women, I mean, men do go through it as well, but I think women are good at reflecting on different stages in their lives a bit more. Yeah. Maybe. And uh, we talk I mean, about I, things more, don't we, as well? Yeah. You know, women at the first stage, we, we, we like to share, well, I'm not saying for everybody, but women in general like to share and a problem shared is a problem halved and we maybe get help on the back of that sort of thing but like you say men they will put it in a compartment and shut the door and not address it until they are at crisis point and by that point they really do need a lot of help don't they definitely and I think it's brilliant now people are talking about it more and like I say one of our coaches is male and he's um on the Facebook page and he's talking about his emotions and it's just brilliant because we all have this emotional health yeah but it's when it starts tipping into this emotional illness mental illness that we need to do something about it so you know if we're having those habitual negative thoughts just catching those before they get to yeah, deep before they that, escalate yeah yeah, definitely. yeah so it's so lovely listening to your story so it's turned a really bad experience for you into something really positive. The fact that you can help others is just amazing. So before we end this podcast today, obviously we are on lockdown and our lives have been changed dramatically. There's going to be people out there that suffer with anxiety and other, other mental illnesses anyway that are not going to help their mental health. And people maybe that quite strong that have never suffered before and they're suffering a little bit of anxiety because none of us know what the future holds at the moment what advice can you give to them so it is really interesting because um it's hard to control things at the moment isn't it and so yeah. living with uncertainty can be really really difficult it's out of and control isn't it it's been out of control of things yeah and none of us have got that control and so trying to predict the future, trying to control anything at the moment is just not going to be achievable. So what I would do is try to break it down and chunk it down into what is manageable. So I've, I've said this on the um, podcast sometimes, like take it one step at a time. So whether that's yeah. one day at a time, a day might be too overwhelming. You know, maybe it's the morning, then the afternoon or an hour by an hour. An hour at a time, yeah. Yeah, and even if if an hour's too much, you know, break it down into a moment. Okay, so that moment didn't go well. What can I do in the next moment? But sometimes we go to catastrophe, catastrophe thinking and worst case scenario. So might wake up in the morning and like stub our toe or um, yeah. like try to get <laughs> online and something's gone Painful. wrong, and then it starts to escalate. Yeah. Negative then, negativity attracts negativity, doesn't it? Yeah, and then we go, oh, it's going to be a terrible day. And it's like, okay, catch yourself in that thinking and go, 
right it was a bad hour it was a bad yeah. moment it was yeah. a bad morning it doesn't mean the afternoon has to be bad but what we have to do is recognize those emotions and often we ignore them so it's giving ourselves chance to like recognize what's going on where am i what am i feeling in my body and then what thoughts then come along with that because yeah. it can be hard to recognize the negative thinking especially if you're stuck in that for a long time um, but you can recognize the emotions around it. So, you know, how am I feeling today? What's going on for me? So giving yourself an opportunity to actually pause and reflect, take it moment by moment, hour by hour, day by day. So yeah. try not to think too far in advance because we literally have no control over that. And then try to separate yourself from your thoughts. And this is definitely... Yeah. hard it's probably hard yeah. to do as well isn't it really yeah. hard to do especially if you've been stuck in that negative thinking but again giving yourself a chance to reflect maybe at the end of the day it can really help to journal so journal your thoughts yeah. keeping a thought diary and what can help sometimes is doing it when you're doing something that's routine like making a cup of tea or washing up i quite like doing it when i'm washing up uh, just like check in with yourself like oh, actually yeah. how am I feeling what's going on what thoughts am I having and if you're having negative thoughts try and separate yourself from them because a bad thought doesn't make you a bad person no and a bad thought isn't always fact so we might be having these thoughts at the moment based on some information we might have heard but is that information fact fake news at the moment a lot I know of yeah you could have read Everywhere. something that started these negative thinking you could have uh, seen a post by a friend who's doing something amazing and you you start thinking oh, I'm not good enough and so just catching those thoughts and separating yourself from them can really help so with the kids I talk about putting your thought on a cloud and watching it drift by or on a bus stick it on a bus and wave it goodbye oh or, brilliant or sticking it in on a firework and watching it explode and what can help as well is um, if you've got any balloons, blowing those thoughts into a balloon and seeing that balloon grow. So all those negative thoughts, that's going into the balloon and then you can either tie the balloon up and let it go or you can let it go and it'll just you know, yeah. blow everywhere. That's really but good, really good. It really helps because you're doing your deep breathing and then you're actually physically seeing those thoughts, how big they are, how massive they can get. And then you can let them go. Yeah. You don't have to cling on to them. Um, but again, what I was saying about the news and stuff, you know, avoid um, watching too much news. Um, and, you know, there's that daily update every day. That really could be and enough. It is, I know. And I was talking to, I was actually talking to a pharmacist recently, um, actually. And she was saying it's really good to give yourself a COVID holiday. So for yeah. two days, just don't watch the news at all. Completely have a break from it. Yes, you're on lockdown. You can still go out for your hours of exercise or get in the garden, do what you can do with your children or with your family in the house, but mm. completely have two days off because yeah. you, you, you're going to get it back again the following, you know, two days later, you're still going to get that update, aren't you? Exactly. But, um, but that's really good information, really good uh, tips there, because one thing I remember with negative thoughts going back, God, 20, 30 years ago, they'd really uh, build you with fear. The fear would build up with these negative thoughts, but you can just let them go. It's okay. They don't mean anything. Just let them go. So it's been really lovely talking to you today, Emily. I'm really going to tune into the Rest Easy Method. I love your story, and I wish you all the best for the future. Thank you. Thanks so much for having me on. You've been listening to The Wellness Hub. 
part of the Appetite for Life series by Karen Kelly, sponsored by Everything Genetic Limited. If you'd like to be a guest on this show or interested in any sponsorship packages, you can send me an email, let's talk at karenkellypodcast.co.uk or visit my website www.karenkellypodcasts.co.uk. Thank you.